Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. It's a pleasure to be here today with all of you guys, and I'm sure after a jam-packed and highly energetic last couple of days, I would like to welcome you all to the Impact Conference Innovation Panel. It's a pleasure to be here alongside some really exciting and successful people in Brisbane's startup system, inspiring people. And the Impact Conference has been supported by Advanced Queensland, so we'd like to thank them for that. And I'd also like to thank all of the event organisers and volunteers who've put their time and energy into making this event happen. I'm sure all of you would agree it's been a very inspiring and motivational event for all of you. So let's give them a round of applause. According to the Foundation for Young Australians' latest New Work Smarts report, by 2030, automation, globalisation and flexibility will change what we do in all of our jobs. So did you guys know that a lot of 15-year-olds could have 17 different jobs and five different careers in their lifetime? And whether that is them being employed by someone, working for themselves, or working with a team of people collaborating around the globe, that's the reality. So given that context today, the panel and myself will be looking at how the role of technology in innovation uh, will be affecting the future change makers like yourselves. My name's Tom Allen, I'll be the moderator today. I'm the founder of Impact Boom and Seven Positive, which is a strategic design consultancy. And I'm passionate about bringing you guys the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. And alongside this awesome panel, I'll introduce them all starting next to me, Karnalea. Karnalea is the founder of Global Impact Group, World Bridges and Purpose 500, Former producer of the first TEDx event in the country, large-scale cultural festivals producer, and former recipient of the New South Wales Premier's Award for Community Service. Karnalea is currently focused on building the World Bridges platform, where big data meets social impact for a first-of-its-kind platform and cross-industry app. Passionate about the integration of our inner and outer worlds, Karnalea actively partners with global local leaders and loves teaching resilience workshops to the most purposeful entrepreneurs and next-gen leaders. Let's put our hands together for her. Thank you so much, Tom. We also have Peter Ball. Peter Ball has a background in investment banking and corporate finance. He has been working across the social innovation, impact investment, and social enterprise arena for over a decade now. He's the managing director of Impact Academy, 
the region's leading social enterprise accelerator. He's supported some of the country's best social enterprises to learn, design, launch, fund and scale their initiatives through rigorous development programs. Impact Academy has worked with 70 plus social enterprises across Australia, Asia and the Pacific. So it's a pleasure to have Peter here today. Thank you, Peter. And Jock Fairweather. Jock is the founder and director of Little Tokyo 2, the inspiring co-working space which is taking Brisbane by storm. And as an idea that started between mates a few years ago, uh, it's, it's turned into something which is supporting 600 businesses to grow and it's been creating a large amount of impact for Brisbane's entrepreneurship ecosystem. So it's a pleasure to have Jock here. Thank you for coming, Jock. If you have any questions today, there will be some time at the end. We'll have 10 or 15 minutes for you to ask questions to the panel. So start saving them up and getting some good ones in there. And we'll look forward to getting some questions from you. And we'll start off with Peter. Peter, you've worked with a number of social enterprises. You've seen them start up and, and get out there into the world. So what are some of the current trends in technology that you've observed that are helping these future change makers or social entrepreneurs disrupt markets and create positive social change? Thanks, Tom. Um, good to start with an easy question. Um, <laughs> I think, the, uh, look, uh, for me, I think there's a couple of things. One is that in terms of what I see as trends is, is probably not uh, too different to what I see as, uh, sorry, trends within social enterprises, probably not too different than I see as trends in um, the market broadly. So in any startups, any innovation, any entrepreneurship, um, the same trends essentially are becoming, uh, I guess, you know, very much something to focus on and look at um, in terms of the work we do in supporting those organisations that we want to see scale into the future. Um, specifically, though, I mean, it's you know, it, it's the stuff that each of you would you know probably know is you know happening in the market now, and 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 has been very much growth sectors, drones, robotics, AI, you know, a lot of those sort of things. Um, the reality is, though, is that they are very to, to the extent that um, a lot of that stuff is happening, and a lot of that stuff is very much, um, uh, I guess, broadly understood to be you know a, a big part of all of our futures. It's it's probably still only a small subsector of where most of the entrepreneurship and innovation is happening. Um, the context of that is that most um, uh, social enterprises that we see in terms of, uh, I guess, the, the wave of entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, a lot more is in eco and in environment. Um, and then again, it's across the board. Is it in renewables? Is it in waste management? Um, and you know those sorts of things are technologies that are underpinning those things. Um, we also see quite a bit in health, so medical devices, e-health, you know those sorts of things. Um, and again, when you talk about e-health, you know the markets are phenomenally big, um, but a lot of the time it's using current technologies, but just in different ways. So I think a lot of the time when you talk about innovation and disruption and you know those sorts of things, uh, often it's it's not the technology that's the disruptive part. Um, it's actually the way in which it is used either in a new market or in a new way. Um, technology is ever-changing and I think, you know, small incremental increases on existing technology might not seem to look like much in terms of difference, but six months over, you know, over six months or 12 months, that can be quite, you know, fundamental. And then if it's used in ag or if it's used in education or if it's used in food security or health or, you know, indigenous, remote indigenous communities, 
it's not necessarily that the technology is fundamentally new or different. It's just that it's been used, uh, I think, very cleverly um, in new markets. Very, very interesting insights there, Peter. Kanalei, would you agree with that? What role do you believe technology has to play in helping people like we have in the room, mm. these future change makers, to innovate and disrupt? Mm. Um, thank you, Tom. So before I go any further, I would really love to acknowledge as well that the p big part of the reason why I'm in this state and why I'm in this room is because of the man to, this, to my left. And another one fooled. <laughs> he has been pivotal to, to grounding the ecosystem here in Brisbane and Queensland. Thus far as I know in terms of my experience, I've been here five months. And he was a key reason and a magnetizer for me to come here and trust that there is so much amplification and potential here in Queensland to contribute to and to serve to. And as you experienced in the meditation circle, for I feel in my experience to honor our elders and honor the ones that we stand on the, sh the shoulders of giants, it's so important. That part for me is technology. It's cultural technology. It's not just the, um, the practical, seemingly physical technology that's important to, to anchor in and, and advance. So, Thank you, Peter. Thank you for all the work that you do. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, it's it's equally the social technologies, it's cultural technologies, it's so it's the embrace that that technology is not just one form. There's multiple different ways to embrace it and to not desynthesize ourselves from it or separate ourselves from it because it can be tiring, it can be overwhelming at times, and so. That's why the, the spiritual technologies in Vodacommas or energy technologies and mindfulness resilience technologies is so core and pivotal to your journey moving forward. Because as we, as Tom mentioned, the statistics, like 17 different careers within five years or something along those lines, I mean, that, that's what's going to hone your mastery and your ability to, to focus in on what is truly your gift and what's your role in this collective and individual journey. So I agree with Peter in that it depends on the context and the perspective um, in terms of technology innovation, but also we have, we have all this within reach, right? So, you know, it's a combination of the AI, the big data, and really embracing AI not, not as artificial, quote unquote, but it's also, it's nature's wonders. It's nothing external to us, so we're all connected. And to really dive into and be curious about the advancement of it, because it is happening fast, and it's going to happen. It's faster than even... You know, the social media, the last wave, uh, the third industrial revolution in the, the last wave in terms of the second machine age, this next machine age, quote unquote, fourth un industrial revolution is going to happen even faster. It's the next three to five years. And so whether or not you surf the current, whether you miss the wave or not and feel completely overwhelmed is up to the integration of all the technologies in your life, not just seemingly a particular form of technology. Very interesting, Kanalea. Thank you. Jock, as someone who works in a co-working space supporting lots of businesses, we see in Brisbane and around the world lots of incubators and accelerators that are focusing on early stage tech startups. And so do you think that a focus on technology rather than human-centred insights as the driver of innovation can lead entrepreneurs astray? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is look at Uber and so on and so on and so on. You see what uh, young people who raise a lot of money who have attempted to do something drastic, like let's say scale globally with no experience, what happens to them, probably very in line with what you're saying, uh, they're not experienced, they don't know how to handle that kind of stuff and, and it can really end up being a disaster. Uh, if you put into perspective, like Uber went you know, all over the world, wherever they are, it doesn't matter, over five to ten years, Deloitte did it over a hundred plus years. And that's why Deloitte's still around, Deloitte's profitable, it's not like a hypothetical unicorn. Um, so I think, I think absolutely. Uh, personally, as as an investor and as someone who does deal flow a lot for a lot of um, really big enterprises, uh, what we look for is the founding team and their ability to change and mould and be resistant and be forceful into markets and and be agile as such, uh, because an A grade team can nail a C grade product any day of the week. Um, and for the moment, I think with what technology there is out there in terms of real social change like developing world, I think technology probably isn't that important until blockchain comes around. Uh, for me, that's the next big wave. Um, I think there'll be two left in our, my lifetime, uh, blockchain and, and whatever AI does, like who knows. But basically blockchain, the decentralization um, that it brings, the anonymity that it brings, the speed that it brings is going to be the biggest change maker for social that we'll ever see, ever. Very, very interesting. So we've heard a little bit about the technology side of things then. Peter, what do you think are the vital skills that successful social innovators and entrepreneurs need? People who are perhaps aspiring to start something, what are those essential skills that are required for them to succeed? Yeah, I think there's lots. I actually don't think there is a, um, you know, one thing that you can put in your kit bag and march out the, you know, front door of home and into the world of entrepreneurship. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a, um, but I think you know there's some characteristics that uh, certainly if you're looking at starting a business that you will want to ensure that you've got. I think you know things like perseverance. Um, I, th I think you know the reality is if you go and talk to a lot of overnight successes, um, it's taken them seven years. Um, typically five to seven years and the reality is they I think what we see is you know these high growth you know um, and in social enterprise perspective high growth high impact business models that are creating enormous change either locally nationally globally um, and the reality with respects to that is that what we didn't see was the three to five years that it took to get there so perseverance is a big one um, I think uh, you've also got to be someone who I guess uh, is um, comfortable in the mess you know it, it's something that you've got to um, we've worked with entrepreneurs who are so regimented and so uh, clinical almost and you can almost see them go stir crazy in a pretty you know quick period of time um, you've got to be you know happy to you know roll your sleeves up you've got to be across I guess everything in the business without necessarily being an expert at any of it to be quite fair um, and the reality I think also within that is you've, you've got to be able to you've got to have really good people skills um, you know one of the biggest online businesses in this country um, which you would all know is a platform called Seek and um, I've known those guys for 15-20 years and the reality is um, they talk about this notion that the most uh, important part of what they did um, was be good at the people side of their business. Uh, in fact, one of them said, you know, when they 
you know, it was an event similar to this, and they said, um, you know, what was, you know, what are the three most important parts of your business? And they said, well, the first one's people, the second one's people, and the third one's people. Um, and so the reality, and that's interesting, right? Because it comes from an, you know, an individual who's been a co-founder, an incredible entrepreneur, um, one of the best this country's seen. And the reality with respects to that is that it was a technology company, but his complete focus was on people. So you know, if you get, I think that that part right, and that's that's about people management it's about leadership it's about relationships so um i think there are a couple um there's lots but yeah fantastic i I definitely agree so to change things a little bit kanalea the conference this weekend has focused on tackling mental health issues Mm. so where do you see the biggest opportunities in australia Mm. for social innovation as in social innovation around mental health or in, in, in general? In general, yeah. Where do you see some of the biggest issues that we could be applying mm. and, and trying to tackle mm. through social innovation or social enterprise? Fantastic question. I love it. You know, the beauty about Australia, Tom, is our distance. We have so much space from the rest of the world and so therefore we have perspective and we have space to create and to, like, you know, like Peter was saying, get monkey and get messy and experiment and innovate. And so, you know, that is a really core element to remember and to be really grateful for, that, that not many countries have the, the resources that we have in the space by which we can sort of breathe innovation, in a sense, and, and embody and anchor it in further. So the nine systemic areas of transformative social change that we're passionate about and focused on, each of those are interconnected with everything else. So nothing is separate anymore, and that's a really exciting part of our movement. And, you know, a key opportunity for us as Australians is to practice and learn and embrace how to be system entrepreneurs. So rather than, like, bits and pieces of different little sections and thinking kind of scarcely, in a sense, and going, oh, this is part of the pie, I'll look after, I'll I'll contribute to, think whole system think interconnected systems and 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 look for those leaders and mentors globally that are leading the way and then Australia get lifts lifts up like together sort of buoyancy in a sense so the system entrepreneur side of things Kevin Doyle Jones who's the founder of SOCAP is an amazing thought leader globally and he is one of the leaders of the social impact field and he's written a a recent article about system entrepreneurs and the need for us to support that. So basically, us as ecosystem custodians supporting you in going and not saying just mental health or just eco or just anything, we want to support you to be um, mastered to a certain degree enough in certain pillars for a certain period of time and then we iterate and then we get stronger like plants and trees, it's an ecosystem. So that's a really, I feel like that conversation I'd really love, I'd really love to support more of in Australia, thinking much more broader than, than little pieces of the pie. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So, Jock, how have you seen the social enterprise sector transform over the last five-odd years? And where do you see it heading? To be honest, I think that's a... That's a Peter question, not a Jock question. So I'm, I'm going to hand that to him, but I'm just going to touch on two things there. Uh, I think that the reason Australian companies aren't able to, to grow to the sizes of a lot of American firms, let's call it, like um, Oracle, for example, they've got six buildings in a row along that highway in Silicon Valley, is because everybody's trying to do everything. This whole ecosystem 
out, outlook means that you can't perfect something and you can't really drive something. And it's really difficult to innovate or like add the one percenters if you're concentrating on too much shit. And the difference, the key difference between those really big organizations, whether they're making social change or not, is, you know, up for discussion. But the reason they get that big, which means they could really make impact, like Mark Zuckerberg has, for example, is because they pick their one thing and they nail it, and then they can sell the shit out of it. And that is the number one thing I see wrong with basically like every entrepreneur I ever meet. And I think it's probably pretty rife in the social change game. Because there's no point doing something if you can't sell that shit and get it out there. You might as well just keep it in your, keep it in your bedroom. That's my two cents. Very interesting. I'll let Peter, I'll let you reflect on that. <laughs> and Peter, I, I, might, I agree. I, I might let you touch <laughs> on that, that question about the social enterprise sector transforming and changing, how that's been so over the last five odd years. Yeah, look, I, I think if I start um, globally and then... Um, uh, maybe bring it back to a local context. Um, I think the change we've seen over the last couple of years is that it's, um, if you look at markets like the US, the UK, parts of Asia, Europe and so forth, um, social enterprise has certainly moved um, uh, further from the margins and, and much closer to the mainstream. Um, if you talk about social enterprise and you talk about the leading social enterprise brands in these countries, um, you, most people will nod their head. Um, there is an acceptance uh, that the model, the social enterprise model, uh, can be a for-profit business that goes and makes a lot of money, um, so long as it's explicitly linked to change. Uh, so um, I think the other thing that we're certainly seeing um, an, a, a rapid emergence of and, and, and you know, an, an enormous tide uh, um, is the impact investing side. So the, the ability to... For, for a capital mark for the capital markets to essentially mobilize funds specifically for um, social and or environmental good um, most big investment banks in the US um, most big international VC funds uh, a lot of the big, big pension funds and in this country well let's talk about offshore um, pension funds in the US and those sorts of things they all have all have now a commitment to um, uh, investing for more than just bottom line. Um, and I think that's, that, that's enormous because essentially what we've got in, in those places that we didn't have five years ago is the money that's going to be needed to invest in the growth of these startup early stage uh, you know, concepts or ideas or enterprises. So I think um, you know, there's some of the big changes. The, the other thing I would say is you know, if you look across the board, it's also um, it's prevalent in almost every industry. And I think that's a really good thing for social enterprise in the sense that it's in, you know, it's in agriculture, it's in health, it's in education, um, it's uh, in mental health, it's, you look right across the board and social enterprise, there is a social entrepreneur or a social enterprise that is participating uh, and looking to scale in just about every industry. Um, it actually also creates an issue though, um, because if you look at it from, for example, a government perspective is who in the Queensland government wants to own social enterprise? the education minister or the environment minister or the health minister or and keep going right so the notion of that is that um uh, i think I'd, I'd i'd like to think that they're all interested in supporting it um but if i do if, if it's part of my portfolio how does that um uh, you know am i looking after everyone else's um issues as well and i think the notion of that is that 
that's the that's the change we've seen offshore. That's the change we've seen in other places over the last couple of years. Is it becomes a uh, a whole of government issue, or it becomes a whole of corporate issue, or it becomes a whole of capital markets issue, um, and probably what we haven't quite seen yet here is that broad scale adoption with respects to who's helping um, build the market. Um, there's lots of new social entrepreneurs. There's lots of new social enterprises. Uh, there is uh, a growing number of professional service firms, uh, accountants, and lawyers, and you know those sorts of things looking to assist social enterprise. But yet the, the context of the growth of the market is probably our next chasm, if you like, to, to cross. Kindly, you might, you might like to add to that. Mm. Uh, but perhaps there's space for us here to think about an example to each of what you believe to be successful startups or businesses which are using technology effectively to create positive social change. Mm. There's a number of them. <laughs> uh, I wanted to speak to Peter's point quite swiftly and I really agree. It's the whole systems approach and a number of you may or may not be aware that there is an Office of Social Impact Investment in New South Wales and we don't have one yet in Queensland. And that's key to, in my perspective, key to anchoring in, well, who's taking responsibility and who's leading and, yeah, really support you being part of that, Peter. <laughs> I look, the reality is we don't have anything in Queensland. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. But yeah, we're part of the change and um, we're, I'm committed to that, you know, in whatever shape, way or form. And so Global Citizen is great. Global Citizen and Purpose.com. So globalcitizen.org, I think it is, and Purpose.com. They're both founded by Australians. So one, um, Jeremy Hymans is the original founder of GetUp. Then he moved to New York and founded Purpose.com. And it's now one of the most formidable global movement, social movements, uh, community and platform. And then Hugh Evans was the founder of Oak Tree Foundation. Equally Australian, under 25, he founded that. And then he went on to America and founded Global Citizen. So Australians, like we punch above our weight, you know, and you are that next generation. And those are two key examples of, of great social innovation fused with technology, fused with community and culture and really ambitious thinking and would really love to invite them back to somehow support, you know, our next growth and next era in Australia. Certainly very inspiring. Peter, would you like to give a couple of examples as well? Yeah, we're obviously very fortunate in the sense that we work with um, many of them. Um, look, I think, you know, locally, if you look at technology, again, it goes back to that point where the technology isn't necessarily groundbreaking. Um, but, like, you know, th th there's groups who we're working with now. There's uh, a group called Field Orthopaedics, which is um, making, uh, you know, things like wrist replacements and uh, new anchors. Um, there's a group called Ordera, who uh, many of you, some of you may know, uh, who are a headphone uh, company, but essentially pings different um, noise, volume, pitch, treble, bass, all of the rest of it into each ear separately. Um, and the technology exists, I guess, in the... Um, in the chip that sits in there. So essentially if you've got a hearing, def hearing deficiency, it, it provides you with clarity of, of, of sound. Um, and if you haven't got one, it still provides you with, you know, uh, the best sound in the world. Um, and then there's a whole lot of other organisations, you know, um, Words With Heart, who, um, you know, Lauren Shuttleworth, 
it's a stationary business, but the notion of that is it exists on a platform which is, you know, a a, a good, uh, a, I guess, platform, good digital platform, um, about to be a much better platform. But the context of that is that, you know, a lot of these businesses exist on the basis that um, they might be selling a product uh, and if you buy a notebook that funds five days of girls' education in Cambodia, great. The reality is if it doesn't exist on a really good tech platform, if it doesn't ex- doesn't isn't underpinned by strong digital strategy, um, it's not as good a business. Um, if it is and it's a better business, it sells more notebooks, it makes a bigger change. Um, so, you know, though examples like that, um, I mean, I, I could literally go on, but I mean, Michelle, we'll, on one point, there's a guy called Brett Levy who's developed a... Uh, technology called virtual songlines um, and the reality of this is that you can it's a game you can play the game um, and in playing the game you become the indigenous avatar uh, who essentially can literally walk up Queen Street Mall um, you can flick a switch and the buildings will appear you flick a switch uh, and the buildings disappear and you're walking on the country uh, that this would have been exactly 250 years ago before European settlement the issue is that this becomes part of Indigenous cultural heritage education. You learn how to uh, uh, find food and fresh water. You learn how to uh, make weapons. You learn how to hunt and gather. Um, and in essence, by playing the game, um, you learn about Indigenous cultural heritage. Uh, so the notion of that is you've got mathematics for maths in schools. You've got reading eggs uh, for literacy in schools and the hope would be next year you have virtual song lines in every classroom in the country where kids are essentially playing games and by virtue of that learning uh, all about our country's rich Indigenous cultural history. So, There's some fantastic examples there. So, Jock, before we go to the audience for questions, I might allow you to, to add one more example there. One more. One only more. only oh, get one. He I got mean, like six or something. Throw in six then. Throw in six. Uh, <laughs> Peter. Uh, all right, I'm going to go with someone who's really dear to my heart. Peter knows him really well. James Grujon from the Good Beer Co., Good Beer Company. Uh, basically, it's a, um, I don't know, I call it like Australia's first charity beer company. Let's go with that. He doesn't like that. But basically, you buy beer and uh, his sort of white, white labeled branded beer that supports whichever the local brewery is, which in turn supports the local charity. So it could be. Uh, the Great Barrier Reef Conservation Foundation or Lifesavers or whatever. Uh, But what makes what he's done really interesting is it's actually a very simple model. Really, he's a marketing company. But what he's done, particularly for Australia, is he leverages the shit out of something we all like, which is beer. So basically, you drink beer because you're going to drink beer anyway. And then, you know, I say that for every carton of Great Barrier beer you drink, it saves a square meter of the Great Barrier Reef. So, like, I've saved 20 square metres of the Great Barrier Reef <laughs> each month. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm crushing it on behalf of James. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great example. Very good. So, let's go to the audience. Who here has a question? We will listen to your questions. We'll repeat the questions in the microphone and then, um, and then pass them to the panel. Thank you. So, the question was... Can you tell us a time when you've, been, you've seen a team with a lot of momentum and then things go bottom up uh, and what is it that you do to lift that momentum back up? Cool. Uh, that's actually happened to us a lot. We've had huge staff attrition uh, and it's mainly because of me uh, because I expect excellence only uh, and I will 
I'll never, if you've done a good job or a great job, you don't even get a high five, only excellence, um, and that's really tough for people. Uh, but for me, if I high five good, then all I'm ever going to get is good, right? And I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in doing good shit, really great, excellent shit, sorry, I should say, uh, and making really big impact. So for me, that, that has happened uh, quite a lot. And just like probably 500 startups is going through at the moment, you, you can read for yourself what you need to do is put a flag in the ground and just wipe everything, put it in a box and say, this is where we are from now. And that can just be on a Monday morning meeting. That can be any time. Um, but if you let things continually simmer, they never get better. You just put a stamp in the ground. We're not accepting this anymore. This is how we are. You can be here or not. I mean, you, you obviously have to contemplate that entire presentation, all the outcomes that, that may come of it. But I find that if you drag things along, uh, particularly with emotional, like people who are more on the emotional side of the scale, um, who are usually incredible workers, but you know they can bring that to work, you just need to stop it right there and then and, and create new expectations that everyone has to agree upon. Thank you. Great question. First step, authenticity. Like speak to truth of what's really happening like within yourself as a leader. This is m coming from experience multiple times. You can only guide and or facilitate anything if you're being fully authentic to the experience. So humble yourself, first and foremost, listen, and really facilitate for whomever that person or collective people are, what they're experiencing. This is usually a combination of boredom, not being challenged enough, not being respected enough, or not being honoured enough for their unique subsets and their life goals and you being as a custodian or as a leader, really steering ship for that. And then that always, as with anything, comes back to yourself. Know thyself. If we know ourselves, and we're all leaders for each other. It's not just like any, any one, this is our new era. It's, we're all teachers and students and, and facilitators and leaders for each other. So that is... For me, that's just anchoring. And, and when, when not just team members, but everyone around you, whether it's your community or family or colleagues or stakeholders, when they sense that you really deeply care and you're humbling yourself, that's where the magic is. Yeah. Thank you, Karnalea. I think we'll take another question, which we can perhaps direct at Peter. There was one just here. Yep. Great. So the question was that, the Office of Social Impact, I believe, was mentioned in New South Wales. So what is the role of policy in helping shape and create a great social innovation, social enterprise ecosystem? I'll answer it to the extent that I, 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 I could or might. Um, I'm not big on policy. I mean, uh, po policy is really important, right? I think the reality is, um, uh, did Google start because of good policy? Did Apple start because of good policy? Did Microsoft... Did there are three examples. There's, like, the reality is that um, we live in a country where if you want to go and do something, you can go and do it. Yeah. So the notion of that is that's probably more the approach we've taken. Um, I started Impact Academy three years ago uh, not thinking that I'll do this because uh, policy might um, catch up and support it. Um, and I know that the 61... Alumni um, didn't start their social enterprises uh, thinking that they uh, that their policy environment was right um, or that it could change to, to further benefit them. Um, 
policy has a place. It's important. If we get the policy right, it will create uh, better opportunities. It will uh, essentially, I guess, further stimulate the, the broader market. Um, and I think that can happen at a uh, state level and at a federal level. Uh, classic examples of that um, in regards to uh, things like investment opportunities, like tax uh, benefits for investing in these things in other countries. Uh, that's example at a federal level. There's, there's lots. But the reality is, I think, um, can we make it social enterprise better in Queensland by better policy? Sure. I'm not a policy guy. Um, I speak to people who are and they've got great ideas and my suggestion to them is great. Go and run it up the flagpole. Go and talk to whoever you need to talk to. Roll the sleeves up. Go and do that. If I get involved in that stuff, the reality is I'm not doing something else. So, again, probably not maybe the right person to answer the question other than to say my experience is if you wait for policy or if you think you're going to drive change in policy I think reality is you've got to focus on that and you've got to put a lot of time energy and effort into that um, and that's a good thing um, it's just not what we do. Thank you Peter I'd like to go to another question in the audience please. Great thank you so the question was since Jock started Little Tokyo 2 how has the venture capital scene changed? I think that's a good, uh, good question for Peter as well, so I will definitely hand over. <laughs> this is a generalist, what can I say? Uh, the answer is in terms of like the specific data, I, I have no idea. Uh, and my honest answer is probably not much. I think everybody's still just kind of poking around. Uh, so our, our, let's call it our success boundary, what we do, I mean in buzzword term, if we put in a bucket, we're like a generalized incubator. So we vet people heavily, we put everybody through goal setting and accountability consistently, and we basically open any door uh, that you want. And through that process, we've had 71 companies start as an idea and leave as an eight plus person team that's like literally a sustainable company with one to five million uh, in, in revenue, which is like, I think that's like 2.1 of Fortnite or something, that's pretty cool. But the point is, is I took investment in my first company and it was a disaster. And now I believe truly and only about being able to sell your product, maybe even before you've had to put your own money in. So maybe it's just sweat building the tech to validate it throughout a market sufficiently enough that people are offering to pay you and saying, this is what I want, this is how I want to receive it and so on before you actually begin. So you kind of have money in your pocket before you begin. Or in that instance, you've got something so proven, your business case is so proven, that anybody would give you money. It's like, you know, I need money for this coffee bean, you know, this coffee company. Cool. How many LOIs have you got signed from coffee shops saying they'll take your coffee beans? You turn up with 100 based on like a cash flow that's positive, And I'll be like, here's the money, dude. Whereas most people come and just pitch this bullshit on a deck that's just, they just made it up and it's all assumptions, which is really difficult. But... I do want to make one more uh, mention of that. I just came back from San Fran and there was a, a really interesting correlation I found. And basically, I think they have 10 times the population. So thus, the investors are willing to put in 10 times the amount of money 10 times earlier. And so more people attracted to entrepreneurships and startups, right? And in Australia, there's not much VC People don't really think entrepreneurship is very cool yet. So 
groups like us have to work extremely hard to create really incredible companies bef like that are well beyond their years and it's very, very tough. Uh, whereas if we compared our, our best starting startups against theirs in any industry, theirs destroy ours. And the reason is because it's dog eat dog and I've got to sell the shit out of this to get it out there, okay? But when they get to the next stage, so let's call it past launch, they're in full flight of grow, they've, they're acquiring customers, it's, it's a legit company, ours are better. I could pull the best 500 startups, I could pull their batch 21, don't show them this podcast, against my best and we would annihilate. And the reason is because we've got way less market to go after and way less money getting thrown our way. So we have to be way more gritty to get to a successful stage. Uh, so that's something really interesting to think about. I think that's a great way to, to wrap up the panel today. That's all we have time for, unfortunately. So if we could all please give Karnalea, Peter and Jock a round of applause. Thank you to all of you for sharing your experience today. It's much, very much appreciated. If you guys would like to check out the Impact Boom Facebook page, Twitter page or subscribe on iTunes, you will be able to listen to this conversation and many others that are uploaded every week on the Impact Boom website. Thank you very much again to the organisers of the Impact Conference. We much appreciate it and we'll look forward to seeing you guys again in the future. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.